Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to E-Commerce Conversations, a podcast by Practical E-Commerce. What's going on, Internet? Eric Banholtz here, and we are back with another e-commerce conversations. I've got two special guests in the studio today. Super excited about that. Got Brad Day, the president of Helm Boots, and I've got Joshua Bingaman, the founder and designer of Helm Boots. And it's a special episode because we're going to be talking about raising money and, and maybe learn some pitfalls that work and, and don't work and kind of talk about the business. But uh why don't you guys uh, go ahead and give uh, our listeners a little hello and, and maybe tell the story of Helm Boots. Cool. Hi, I'm Joshua. Thanks for having us, Eric. We're, we're old pals. You forgot that part. Oh, uh, yeah, we go back. We go back. We've had a few coffees. Yeah, it's uh, uh, good to be here. Thanks for having us. It's, it's cool to be another Austin-based brand and company and just watch each other grow and I can say succeed, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And succeed and then bring on some some pros like Brad. That helps. Yeah. So thanks for having us. It's, it's exciting to be here and it's uh, always good to get back to Austin. I'm a former Austin resident, but I've been relocated back up to, to Portland, Oregon. So um, get back quite often, but um, excited to be here and kind of share some of the things that we've learned through uh, successes and, and failures over the last three years that I've been here with uh, with Joshua at home. Yeah. So, uh, you've been with, uh, Helm for three years and Joshua, you launched this, uh, coming up on 10 years in October. Wow. 10 years ago. That was a while ago. So now is Helm Boots completely online or do you work through wholesalers? Tell us a little bit more about the structure of the business. We started where we were just online and, uh, had a little office here. It was kind of a passion project for me in the beginning. I was, I had opened a cafe here in 03 and ran it and then got into coffee roasting. And, um, I'd been in the shoe business prior to that, but once I started focusing on Helm full time a few years ago and finding Brad realized it was something to focus on full time. So that's when we opened a little shop, a little flagship, and then really started focusing on the website the last year, year and a half. So yeah, we are more internet-based brand, but we have a few select wholesale accounts. We've pulled back on that quite a bit and um, are still doing a little bit with our, our storefront and excited for that retail aspect to grow, but but aren't focusing on wholesale right now. Yeah. I mean, just to, to me or Joshua, you know, we've done a, a lot of kind of looking at our, our business model and um, how do we connect better with our customers that are around the country and, and, and create the right environment for them to experience our brand and our products and, and be able to have that one-on-one -on -one conversation with them. And, and we felt that a brand of our size and where we're at, that it was, it was very valuable for us to, to control that conversation. And we can do that by connecting with them uh, directly over our website and then through um, customer service and phone calls and things like that. And, and sometimes a little bit that can get diluted when you 
put the the relationship in the hands of a wholesaler. And so we've tried to really ex- enhance the experience of the Austin storefront, where, which is our home, and then really go out there and, and create an experience with a, with a website that allows people to experience, get to know us, get to know our products uh, a little bit more intimately than they could if, if it was through a, a, somebody else's relationship management. Yeah, you're seeing uh, my, my music to my ears because that's, that's very similar to how we build beer brand is developing that relationship directly with our customers. And for those listeners out there, a, a little heads up, I'm totally biased towards Helm. I'm wearing a pair of their uh, Pete's, which I don't think they yeah, make true. anymore. So I'm no, super stoked to get these because these, these are, in my opinion, some of the best looking Chucos I've ever seen. And uh, it's just like a, a really high-end premium handcraft oh i don't know if it's handcrafted 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 boot and um did you start off going straight for money or did you bootstrap this no pun intended no yeah no i i bootstraps a a good word for it i started it with a credit card out of a factory in istanbul actually i have some family there and ran it out of istanbul turkey for the first three years and then brought it to the u.s production to maine and arkansas and then have gone back to uh some factories offshore as we've grown just because with United States manufacturing, it's limited to an extent of what you can do and design and fabricate, but then also uh, just bandwidth of how much product you can make because there's not a whole bunch of factories left in the U S. Yeah. I got to imagine like something like high end. I mean, these shoes go for what, three, $400 and uh, boots you have. I mean, how many SKUs do you have per for design that's 24 mm-hmm. yeah. yeah now that now with widths and colors we go up to size 16 and um you know the the biggest challenge we have or and josh had in the early days is just the cost of inventory yeah you i mean buy, that's gotta be huge you buy a hundred boots um in a couple of different models and uh, it, it gets very very expensive and, and really prohibits your ability to invest in other areas of your business like people yeah. um like customer outreach those types of things. And so like all consumer products companies, you know, you, you have to have inventory to, to sell. And this is a very, very expensive product to, to get into. Yeah. Uh, clearly like you, in those early days, you're running off your credit cards, you're pumping everything back in, you're probably eating a lot of ramen. And I think we, we joked about that last time we met, like the food that we were eating. <laughs> you have like well, a different said, word for it. It's always ramen or, or beans. We yeah. said it was cans and beans rice, is yeah. what we hear. <laughs> It's like even no matter what you were eating, you just say that's what it was because whether it's figurative or literal, it's pretty much that. Yeah. Yeah. At, at what point did you decide that like I just I can't make these cash flows work? I can't extend my credit anymore. Like we need to raise money. I think I started to realize that when not only the company was growing in terms of like whoa Nordstrom's ordering from us or just having designs that I would make. And I think you can relate to this where it's like, Oh shit, man, that one it's hit or miss. It's like that one was a great style and people really bought it. But the one that I liked the most, my favorite color and design didn't sell. And now it's sitting on a shelf and now we have to figure out how to turn this inventory into cash. And how can we do that without depleting the, the brand and the name and the product reputation that we'd already built So I started to realize that I couldn't fund it with just cash coming in from a coffee shop, which isn't a lot of cash, and that I had maxed out a few more credit cards, and I had remortgaged my house (laughs) and sold a car. Like, I went from owning stuff to leasing stuff, and that was just the reality of, do I keep 
having a small business that I believe in, but that is going to take some, um, quite a bit of runway to get off the ground or do I, do I quit? Do I shut it all down? And that, that's never been an option for me. So prior to Brad coming on, I started looking into what it meant to raise funds. And like you said, I had never done that because I'd started a shoe store in San Francisco without raising money. And then I had started a coffee shop without raising money and it was minimal amounts of cash. How can I build lines of credit off of this? What credit cards can I use? So it first went into some friends and family being very small amounts and then, okay, how do I do this? And literally not unlike starting businesses, just cold calling and reaching out to people to, okay, I put a deck together. What does that look like? Uh, how do I make it pretty? What kind of spreads do I present? I mean, like even a business plan, that's. Are you giving those pitches to your friends and family or is that the the next stage? The friends and family, you just say, Hey mom, you know, like I I need $10,000 for this business idea. It was more like where I would have a PO and uh-huh. I was like, okay, we've made enough sales to afford the next PO, but I can't pay the two or three staff I have. So do I have room to get cash off of a credit card? Or can we do something sale-wise locally out of our office to get enough cash to then show that we're breaking even? Yeah. And then start to talk to people who have friends who have some cash or people that I know that are exorbitantly wealthy that believe in small businesses, but that would have to look at ours and it be emotionally and relationship based relationship based in the beginning. Right. Because I didn't have uh, I didn't have a big black bottom line to show anyone. Right. So yeah, in the beginning it, it became more friends like this guy that has a band that I knew loved at the boots and his band had just taken off or this guy who has a friend who's in management at this larger retail company, you know, things like that. And it was 10, 20, 30 grand here and there. Yeah, I think that was an interesting progression in terms of how funds were raised. And I came in post a lot of that, but that transition from friends, people that were emotionally invested either in Joshua or the company or in Austin and things like that to in their expectations of what they want to see and what they expect to get out of it versus this transition into actually professional investment, right? And and whether those are still professional investors or wealthier individuals locally that, that are invested still in those those same things, but their expectations of what they want to see, how a business is run, the reporting that's that's required and some sort of return or forecast on return on investment, like that's a big shift in an organization and the demands on an organization when it goes from kind of friends and family, let's help this company survive to let's raise funds because we have a business that we think is going to grow and we can all help in and share in, in the, the the benefits of that, the, the profits of that and, and things like that. Yeah. So let's, let's go back to those early stages. Like when you're raising money, do you have to do like a new operators agreement? Like every single time you, you bring in money or do you have like a, a timeline that's a, Hey, give this money by this date and you'll be in this new pool for, I, I assume you turn over equity for it, for that, capital or is it, you know, debt financing or right. It really depends on each person, each loan until you have enough structure. Like Brad was talking about to where it's like, okay, are we an S corp for this? Are we an LLC? Are we a C corp? We're changing things around for 
who's going to put what amount of money yeah. in. And those people that are the first round investors with equity that's protected and they won't dilute to people that are second and third round where when more money comes in, they've agreed upon, uh, okay, well, my, my ownership will dilute some unless I want to step up and put more money in and right. secure where I'm at. Each round has been different until just this last round where I think this is our third structured papered round where there's people putting in significant amounts of money that do need and expect and want, uh, like Brad was saying, not only the results and the paper and the updates on paper, but they, uh, they have higher expectations because they have their own companies that are very successful or they've invested in other companies. And again, that was all very, very new for me. Um, and even Brad just lately being able to compile the financials that have been requested and having some people that are actively involved on our board of directors that have, I would say held our hands, the bigger it's gotten, um, just, because we're learning as we grow, but we're definitely agile and able to run with, uh, run with the baton we're handed. Yeah. So it sounds like like the, the very typical like entrepreneur story where you figure everything out, you kind of pull it all together, you do whatever it takes to make it work in those early days. And then as you learn from those mistakes that that's not really sustainable, you start to build processes and structure and that happens with investing too then. Mm -hmm. And having investors picking the investors you want that do want to be active or involved and gaining as much knowledge as you can from them. And then the ones that just want to put money in because this investor did or friends of friends kind of thing. Uh, It really is very specific per round and per investor based on what we need as well. Yeah. Cause projections are what are there, but can they be met or do we blow them out of the water or are they, I'm way off, you know, it's day to day. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly started that way. Right. And now as we've evolved and, uh, you know, have a corporate governance and structure and not to get into the nitty gritty of all those that everything is dictated by, you know, law, right. And mm-hmm. co- proper governance of a company and board approval for uh, cash allocations and stock grants. And, you know, all, you know, does the, the, does the entire organization, the board, the investor group, they all have rights within the governance to say, we want to go raise money or we don't, we want to do this or we, we want to pivot and go here. These are the things we want to invest in. So the flexibility to be this, this agile, small business certainly uh, changes the, when you transition in towards this professional type investment and you have proper governance and you're confined by those rules and regulations. Now I use confined as is restrictive, but there's also a ton of upset to that, right? right. you the access that you have, the, obviously the access to things outside just of the capital, uh, is, is very, very beneficial for a business of our size. It's a lot, it's a lot healthier. Yeah. One of, uh, one of the things I've heard, uh, and I don't know how true this is, and I'm sure every business is slightly different, but like each round you raise, you essentially expect to give up about 20% of the company. Is is that kind of like a realistic ballpark or should entrepreneurs kind of have different expectations going into it? A lot of that's purely based on the valuation of the company at the moment. Um, yeah. And then how much you're raising. And how and where and what that valuation is. Because the people that get in early, our valuation's a speculation. 
And you, you know how where they'd say, okay, it's worth this much. I'm putting this much in and they got in early and then the valuation is significantly higher the next round. And if, if you're succeeding or if you're growing, but, um, yeah, I would I would agree with Joshua there. I think every situation is so different, right? And and where are you at in your business that you're looking to acquire capital? If it's very very early, uh, and you don't have a lot to show in terms of outside of a belief in you, right? And that's generally you know probably what people are investing at that point. They're they're investing in you as an entrepreneur and you as a person. That 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 could make a lot of sense as a twenty percent mark or something like that, depending on that. But I think it's. You know, we all probably watch a lot of these shows and things like this of the the, the big raise for twenty percent, and you know they're getting millions and millions of dollars. I think those are those are the exceptions versus uh, kind of the reality, which it's it's very dependent on who's investing, where you're at in your business, and and really what you want to accomplish out of the capital. Like if you're investing, you, you think this capital can get you through the next five years, right? That's, that's realistic. If you think that this capital can get you through the next 12 months while you're kind of figuring out, like that seems like a lot to give away. So I think it's what, what you're trying to accomplish and what your goals are for your company and things like that. Okay. You talk about uh, the shows that are on. I was a, a Shark Tank contestant. Right. That's what I was so, thinking yeah, about yeah. Shark Tank. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about <laughs> a little that. Plug. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I kind of want to talk about you know like it, it seems so e- so easy. It's just like oh yeah, just go out and get money. Like what are tips that entrepreneurs need to know and business owners need to know on how to successfully pitch your business so that you actually get a hit rate for investors? Because I would imagine you know what is it like ten percent of people say yes or even smaller than that. Yeah, I mean. I think from what I've learned and what Brad knows I can bring to the table that then I can hand off to him and and a couple people on our board that have the experience. I'm not the numbers business savvy guy, but I am the creative and I am the passionate person who lives and breathes and bleeds the brand in terms of I will give and do anything and everything I can to bring people to the table that would be or are willing to invest, uh, but it's relationship based and the amounts of relationships I have and the sincere relationships that I care about the person and the person cares about me is for our brand. The people are involved, uh, as relationally as they are not just putting money in. I'm not going out to a PE company. I'm sitting across the table with somebody having lunch or coffee multiple times, um, either we've already known each other or we've been introduced per someone we both trust. Um, once that's happening and that's there and that's done is when we enter into a conversation of the crossing the T's and dotting the I's of what it really means to invest money, not just caring, concern and right. joining, joining the passion. Best wishes. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I went, I was in the music industry, then I was in retail, then I was in a cafe and then back into owning a retail company. Those are not things that an investor sees like they do like real estate or technology. You know, I mean, you're, you have a, a brand that services started with servicing beard products, footwear, you know, out of the U S even in the beginning when it was, those aren't things that it's like, Oh, dollar signs. Yeah to someone who is a successful investor. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's you, you know, what they're looking for, you know, in the beginning was that relationship, right? And this very charismatic, authentic person that's living and breathing a brand. And, you know, a lot of brands, 
try and create that, you know, and we've got it right. And we've got this great story of uh, an entrepreneur who's built his business uh, on East on the East side in Austin, which is, which is really cool. Now that is shifted in, in people now that are looking at our business from, from a financial perspective, care less about that. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's they, it matters. Right. And it's part of why they're interested in our business because we are a cool brand, but they want to see how we operate our business. How does our structure our business? the quality and the talent that we've we've added to our board and the expertise that they can build and they want to see results like they want to see that you're proving that you can do what you say you're going to do instead of just these you know we can all build projections and powerpoints that show that our business is going to grow 10x over the next three years and it's you know but people want to see real results and and it validates that authenticity of of your pitch when you can show that you've got the the track record of doing it. And so that's that's been a big shift that at some point the facts matter more when you're talking about the investment. Uh, but in the beginning, it's it's very emotional, and then it shifts to a, a combination of having a real authentic story and brand that that is offering a different perspective in the market than just another consumer product out there. Yes. When I, when I see you guys, I kind of want to shift the conversation a little bit to talk more about, you know, Josh and Brad, because it's, it's very funny. Like before the show started, before we started recording, you know, Josh was just like, oh yeah, we'll just get up here and, and chat. And then Brad is like, I'm very nervous. I don't know what we're talking about. I have no idea what this is going to be. I, yeah, somebody just drove me and popped me in a chair here. So, so how did you guys connect? And, and I feel like it, it's, it's almost like an indication of like how your business probably fundamentally shifted and like how you ran from like bootstrapping and putting out fires to planning and structure and, and like going after the, the serious investors and the different kind of relationships. Yeah. I mean, I think it's every person involved in a company brings something different, right? And not, not only they're doing different personalities and different backgrounds and experience and all those things, but you know, you need different perspectives and, and people's minds work differently. I mean, the way Joshua sees the world is very different than the way I see the world. And that's not like a good or a bad thing in no, yeah, right. how we approach things. And that's what makes us a great team is that he comes at it from a, a very pure creative perspective. And I, and, and I come at it from a little bit different perspective, not that we don't have those other things and we can't challenge each other on those things. But, you know, it was clear that the organization needed a little bit of structure and, and that's how I became to get involved in, in, in the, in the company. Um, were you, were you a friend or were you part of we a round or we had an investor, one of the first people in Austin to get involved. And I had been working with her some and her husband and her husband was just helping out at the office and he had come from a company doing some significant PR and he and Brad had become buddies, uh, via Brad's wife working with the investor and, um, what golf or lawn? We had lunch. I mean, it was like a, Hey, Brad's worked for Adidas for umpteen years. Uh, you guys both like footwear. And as I was raising money from an outside source, they said, you're going to have to find somebody to run this company. Like you have to find somebody with enough experience and the chops to implement structure and implement processes that aren't there. I mean, it was evident. I had 10 people when we needed probably five and the 10 people I had, there were, it was more leaning towards creativity than business. So we needed somebody who, who knew some numbers and who, who could put processes in that would stop us from 
bringing water onto the ship. So the fact that Brad and I met and it was pseudo coincidence, but then also like, Hey, you want to come check this out kind of thing. We got along, but then Brad was attracted to, I think the challenge, but also realized the opportunity with the brand and that I could do and keep doing what I was doing. And he could come on and, and really plug the holes in the ship and, and captain the ship while I would say, Hey, here's the waters we want to charter. But like, we do need somebody to tell us how to get there. So his line of communication with the active investors and with the board and um, with making my designs and creativity reality and possible is paramount and is what his role has been. But again, he came to the company via relationships. Relationships are my currency. Yeah. I mean, it's in, it's to that point, it's important that Joshua is focused on those, right? It's not good for the company if Joshua's sitting in front of a spreadsheet trying to balance a budget. Like that's not the best use of his brain. Like he's very good at designing product and looking at the market and making sure that the brand's really staying on direction and 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 really utilizing the creative elements of his brain. Like that's why he's brilliant at what he does and he has this entrepreneurial spirit which which helps. And so we have to make sure that we're putting Joshua in the best position to be successful, but also happy and, and enjoy why he started a company. It's not to to manage people and to look at budgets and balance those things. Like that's why the rest of us are there. Right. Um, so. How talk about like uh, you, you said one of your roles is like managing investors, like as you raise money, like how much time and resource and energy does go into the investors versus going into the business and the team and executing on uh, a lot. Like, is that half, half your day? Is it like once a week? Is it, it's, it varies, you know, and I think we're now at the point where we're no longer actively looking for capital that we have a, what we feel is a proven business model. That's going to take this company to a, to a spot where it's, we don't necessarily need to have that type of capital. It's growth capital at at that point. And so it's a lot of dealing less with the investors and more with the the board. Right. And so making sure that the board who the investors have empowered to manage this organization and, and take care of their money. And so it's a lot of board management, um, but at the same time, a lot of active reporting, monthly reporting, uh, keeping an eye on uh, the cash flows and all those things so that month by month, the investors are still uh, very confident that we're, we're doing the right thing with our business in, in their money, essentially. Yeah. What, as a person who doesn't really have a, a board, what, what does that look like? Do you do like strategy sessions with them or is it more of just reporting what's going on and they're kind of like, yeah. sounds cool or doesn't sound cool? I think it's in a lot of, a lot of companies, your board is probably less hands-on than ours is. And we've, we've built a board a little bit different. Um, we have a very active board that's very, very engaged uh, purposefully. And we've, we've tried to add some expertise into our organization through the board of directors that we probably couldn't have access to just because we can't afford to pay them. The, mm-hmm. the best example of when we really shifted to this direct to consumer business, we knew that we needed an expert to help us build this kind of customer acquisition funnel and, and making it a profitable thing instead of you know, not being able to afford 
$250,000 to pay a, an expert to do that because it's just not a reality in a small business. We were able to go and leverage somebody who has that experience, bring them onto our board, um, give them equity in, in the organization and, and utilize their, their expertise that way. And so, you know, I think a lot of board meetings you meet monthly and, uh, you talk about the strategies. Rarely do we have a board meeting where the entire board hasn't been involved in kind of the strategic direction and the big initiatives and things like that. So, uh, we've built our board that way, which I think is, it's been a really positive thing for us because we have really active people that are really invested and emotionally in, in what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So how, how big is your board? How many members? Five, Five members, yeah. in, including you two? Including or? Joshua. Okay. Now, um, you're still involved in the investor relationships and, or has that pretty much been turned over to, to Brad? I'm still involved the last few that have come to the table the last two or three, but especially the most recent is, is pure relationship and they're not a board member, but prior to that, yeah, it was, it was all relationship. And now it's at a point where like Brad was saying, the bottom line and the direction the company is going will bring who's next. And if it's not already people that are involved reinvesting, which is the best case scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, Joshua still maintains, like to his point, those personal relationships and making sure that if they have questions outside of the normal reporting and and all those things, that they have a person that that they go to and talk to. And so it's very important that those people still feel a connection to the brand. And and Joshua still is, is that personal connection to the brand when it gets to some of those other things, um, you know, we shift towards uh, myself and even the board. And uh, we really try and filter a lot of those, those high level investor conversations to the board. And there is a person on the board that primary responsibility is to help manage those those investors so just that's what he's really good at he spent his life dealing with a lot of a lot of people like that so it's a huge asset that we we can be shielded a little bit from that because to your point if if we're spending 50 percent of our time trying to deal with investors and board members like are we really focused on the business right right? and which is what we need to be focused on yeah i would imagine uh it would be pretty tough to to manage that because i would also imagine board members tend to be pretty successful in their own right with their very limited schedules and and being able to get uh, access to them or or to be able to wrangle them all together at certain period of times Mm -hmm. must be pretty challenging yeah what's what's been rad about that is those four that brad was talking about being accessible and that's part of their agreement and their vested interest uh and their incentive, uh, whereas the others that are more just put in significant amount of money and, and just kind of step back until uh, it's time for us to to send a report. Uh, but what's been, I mean, amazing with having somebody like Brad or two or three other people is when the questions come to me that I literally can't answer, I can tell them how pretty the flowers are or I can uh, explain again passionately where we're headed and show the last photo shoot and who's buying from us now and what sales were. But then if somebody has questions beyond that, which most of them do, I can say, Hey Brad, can you help here? Or Hey, this person or this person who's on our board that can legitimately explain the details and what would need to be heard or matter to that significant investor. Yeah. Before we wrap it up, I want you guys 
to to go in a time machine and share kind of like the pitfalls that <laughs> I'm sure you got plenty of them, but like if there's a, a couple highlights during this process that you wish you had done a little bit differently or, or maybe things you want to do again, if you had that opportunity, mm-hmm. I can be pretty quick about that. It's uh, having, I mean, I've fallen in a lot of, what'd you say? Pitfalls. Yeah. Uh, somebody will be like, what have the speed bumps been? And I'm like potholes. Yeah, that's, like a, that's like a whole nother uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, on its own, Seriously. Right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, you and I've talked about uh, ego is destroyed when you've eaten enough crow or, or changed enough diapers or fallen on your face enough. And that's gold to be able to not let your sense of or desire to be praised or accepted or worshipped get in the way of your work or what needs to be done. That said, when I've looked back on the three or four businesses I've started off a whim, no idea what I'm doing, no business history, no schooling, no business plan writing, none of that, I'm starting everything off sheer passion and action. I would have learned or wanted to learn how to have someone who had, I would have slowed down and I would have said, where is someone who's done this that's willing to take me under their wing or that's willing to let me shadow them and then be taught how to raise money before I started the business, which would be hard without the validation, but it's not unlike what I did five, seven, 10 years into other businesses where it's like, okay, I've fallen and failed enough which is more valuable than an MBA. So I've heard, but that's made it really hard. So losing relationships and sleep and time and family and health and possessions. And I mean, it's just, it's a crazy thing to do independently, but it would still also be crazy with, with money. But looking back on any of it, I don't think it could have been done different and everything that's happened is what's supposed to have happened. But I would have liked to have learned how to and implemented fundraising prior to yeah. starting the business. Just, just to know those expectations. Yeah. What yeah. are you, Brett? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a really interesting question. And I think one of the things that I've really learned over the last three years is is what it really means to be an entrepreneur. Now, I really commend both of you guys for for having started your companies. And I and I always tell my wife, I'm like, I don't know if I could start it. Now, I'm in it as we're building this small company, and I and I have the spirit. But what it takes for for you guys to start something from scratch and and the belief in yourselves and in this this business is is truly remarkable. What I've what I've seen over the last three years and. You know, I spent the first 16 years with a massive company that, uh, you know, had the healthcare and the 401k and, you know, we got bonuses when things worked. And so I had this, you know, this different understanding of really what it meant to be in a, in a small business. Um, I think the, what it takes is this belief in, in this business that you've started and what time, what sometimes can happen is you don't really foresee that some pivots that you need to make in your business, right? And you have this thing that you want to do, which is make shoes, right? And you have this model about how to do it. And so your head's down trying to do that and, and surrounding yourselves with people that can pick your head up and say, okay, it doesn't mean we're going to stop selling shoes, but let's, let's think about it 
doing it a little bit different, right? And let's pivot this business model. And so, you know, we've, we talked a little bit at the beginning of how we've pivoted to more of a direct to consumer and we've kind of walked away from wholesale. We've looked at our sourcing. We've looked at how our company's structured and the people that we have working for it. I mean, I, I live in Oregon, right? And, um, you know, all of those things. And so we've pivoted our company to a different way to operate and structure and all those things, which has proven out to be really successful, which is why we were just able to go back to our investors and say, hey, we're proving this now. We need a little bit more money to because boots are expensive. But I wish we had done that a year earlier. Yeah. I wish we had, you know, had the foresight to say, come in, let's let's look at this, let's build the structure, let's get the right people. But wow, look at our business model. Like this is not a model that's going to be able to make money. So therefore, we need to, which we need to do in order to keep our jobs and employ people and, and all those things. So um, I think that foresight to just kind of look at the business model and, and pivot and try and do things a little bit differently and have that flexibility in how how you look at things. Yeah, and, and really make those hard decisions yeah. about. I mean, fundamentals of killing wholesale relationships is not no. an easy thing to do. No. Uh, where can people find you, or where should people check you guys out? Helmboots.com, H-E-L-M, boots.com is our website. Uh, we've currently got our retail store on uh, East 11th in Austin, um, which we might be opening another one sooner than later. You and I can revisit that when it's time. Yeah, we do We do quite a lot of pop-ups around the country. Yeah. Um, right now, we're at a place called Bridge and Burn in Portland, Oregon. We're at a place called Modern Anthology in Brooklyn. Last summer, God, we were in Oklahoma City and Raleigh and Denver. They, can, they can find all that on the website. Yeah, the tours. And email newsletter, I assume. Yeah, right? yeah, they can sign up for the newsletter. Um, we still have a very select wholesale account here or there, but those aren't things. San, San Antonio, we've got Yeah, a- yeah, there's a great shop in San Antonio, but. What about uh, following you guys personally? Do you guys, are you active on social media or is it best just to go to home? I am. Brad's not as active because, again, he's doing shit that matters. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Helm Boots, at Helm Boots is our handle on all that. I'm Binger Zinger, which Binghamman's my last name. A lot of people started calling me Bingers years ago here in Austin. So Binger's Binger Zinger. <laughs> and people like to follow me, but it's mostly family stuff and the personal relationships of it. But I do post stuff where it's like, hey, we're at this shop or here's this famous person wearing helm or whatever stuff like that that, that people get a kick out of. I'm, I'm nowhere near Eric Van Holtz. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking millions there. I'm talking hundreds. No, no, so no. They're all in it for beard brand and Carlos costume. <laughs> right. the, the it's all about one. Carlos. <laughs> But, uh, well, I, thank you so much for coming on to the Dude, show. thank you this for is, having us. Yeah, yeah I really appreciate yeah. it. it I, I learned a, love, a lot and very, uh, I love your brand too. And what Dude, you've built. You. like if, if you guys listening, so listening, check out Helm Boots. They've got incredible branding, design, photography, shoes. They're doing all the things right when it comes to e-commerce. So you're going to learn a lot by going to their website and checking thank them out. Thank you. And then your life will be better if you grab a pair of shoes. <laughs> that doesn't hurt. I, I got a couple of them and I love them. Cool. Thank you. So yeah, thank you uh, thanks, guys, for listening. As always, this has been another e-commerce conversations. Cheers and keep on growing.